Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Nomad World weekly series. I'm Becky, and I'll be your host. And today, we're going to be talking with Chance Taken about something we've never talked about on this show before, but I'm so excited to discuss it with you guys. We're going to talk about building a digital country. Why, where, and how. So let's talk about it, Chance. First of all, welcome to the show. Yeah, cheers. Great to be here. Thank you. And so if I understand it right, you are currently working for an initiative called Plumia as that's part of Safety Wing that is working to build a digital country. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. You can think of it, maybe an easy way to think of it is you have Safety Wing is kind of building a lot of the infrastructure. So the social safety net, um, uh, kind of the, a lot of the functions that a state normally has. And then Plumia is kind of thinking about, okay, once we have that what will this bring us and then what would an actual country on the internet be and uh, what would the institutions be the community be does it even make sense sort of thinking around that part of it all right so excited to dive into this but first i wanted to ask you chance about your background what is your digital nomad or remote work journey like how did you get started and also how did you get started working for plumia so I'm I'm assuming this is probably very similar for uh, most nomads. It's kind of a winding, it's a winding road, uh, I could say. I originally was in education. That was my background, kind of passion growing up. It'd be like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a teacher. Uh, and I did that for uh, four-ish years and then started to get interested in thinking about, okay, what's next? Um, and how can you think about education um, in the 21st century? So uh, kind of thinking from formal education, when was that created? What did that solve? And then we're in the 21st century, completely different world when formal education as we know it now is created. So I just started thinking about that. And I basically did a, a transition into, uh, I was learning programming and then ended up creating basically like an ed tech platform. Uh, and I did that for several years. So I did that. And I still was teaching on the side at a platform called VIP Kit, which some people may have known uh, was an online teaching platform. So I had these two kind of education projects that were both um, remote. So I did, that's how I transitioned into uh, remote work and nomadism. That's fantastic. And how did you feel about the nomad lifestyle? Was it something, I know a lot uh, of people when they start, it's like they don't want to go back to, they can't go back to the office after that. Did you, how did you feel about it? Yes, I definitely feel that. Like I haven't gone back since. And I started maybe 2016, I think is when it, uh, I took the plunge there. And it was almost, uh, I went, actually the reason I started uh, almost by necessity, I was doing these projects, but uh, my girlfriend at the time, I was living in Korea. She was uh, from Europe. And then so we moved to Europe together and, uh, yeah, so it was kind of a, a forced transition that I'm grateful for. Yeah, I do love how this like nomad lifestyle or remote work allows us to work from anywhere because yeah, like you said, a lot of times you can't find local work and you need to pay your bills. So it's great that there's so many options. All right, so let's dive into this digital country idea. So first of all, um, you were saying that Safety Wing is like, there's two sides, there's the Plumia, there's the Safety Wing. How does Safety Wing currently help the digital nomad community for those who've never heard about it? Uh, I think the simplest way is it provides travel insurance for nomads specifically. It's a company, or there's two ways you can think of it. One, it has infrastructure travel insurance um, for companies, but also for remote workers generally, because it has Safety Wing caters to both individuals so B2C and then also B2B with companies. So helping basically remote companies, uh, kind of the norm if you're a remote company is you'll have employees from around the world and they have a big issue of how 
how do you handle services, uh, health insurance, this sort of thing, and safe doing helps on that side. So for Nomad specifically, I think I, I can think on like when I first used it, because uh, I've been using it since I think 2018. And what really jumped out to me was just, I felt so shocked that something, I felt so seen, if that makes sense. Like this is a company that's actually catered for my lifestyle and any nomad uh, who's been doing this for a period of time has experiences of just interacting with institutions or individuals that are like, what are you talking about? Like you can imagine talking, like I'm from a small town talking to a bank manager in my small town and they just like can't comprehend, like they're just, this is, what is this? Uh, and so that is the norm. I think this maybe doesn't, uh, it might not be as intuitive, but I think this is a big thing that Safe Doing does to the nomad community is actually just like, we are devoted towards the, safe, the nomad community and trying to like normalize this lifestyle, build infrastructure for this lifestyle. So to me, like as a, a, as a user before, and I think this would stands out to me as like the biggest, uh, uh, what Safe Doing does for the nomad community currently. Okay. And, and I'm thinking like, you you know, that Plumia is, is starting to build the other side, like you said, but my first question is like, why, like, why are you trying to build a digital country? Why should we do this? So there's only a few ways you could slice this. I think that the simplest way is we feel that there's an opportunity to kind of create more equal opportunities around the world for people. Um, to give an example in that previous, it, project that I was in, the EdTech, it was helping people transition careers from all these different careers into tech, into programming. And it was people from around the world. And one of the things we would do is we'd group people together into teams to build projects together to kind of gain experience and you know build, uh, build skills like collaboration. And you'd have inevitably these the situations, we'd have someone from Nigeria match with someone from the UK or, or Canada. Um, and you know over time, you'd see, okay, there's you can have a case where someone's from Nigeria could actually be like the best programmer of the bunch of like 500 people on this whole batch. Uh, but the, their opportunity base is just vastly lower than someone who's just born in a country where their passport allows them the opportunities to uh, basically go anywhere or not anywhere, but have opportunities to, to go places uh, that the person who builds these skill set just wouldn't have just because they're born there. So I think there's from that's kind of like the driving thing that uh, like really propels people, I think, at the company or in Plumia generally. Um, but there's another way that we think about it, it's more pragmatic, is just sort of looking at this, uh, this belief or observation maybe is a better way to put it of, historically, when there's a big technological shift, the social institutions shift, ways people organize shift, way people identify, these things all shift as well. Um, and so we kind of view this as, you know, something like this is probably inevitable. We don't really know or, Personally, I think it's difficult to have to be like, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's not like a rah rah, like we believe uh, this must happen. We think this is something like this is likely happening, and we can use this opportunity to create something in the world that we think uh, should exist. Uh, so that is kind of a, a broad stroke. And if you want to jump into other pieces, we can jump into that as well. No, I I, I love this idea that you're you know flattening you're like leveling the field let's say for people and giving people opportunities because as we know um i'm american i believe that you also are um are, are you, where, where are you canadian. from canadian okay canadian. that's canadian. always gets me every time chance that's the one accent i can't crack <laughs> but i i think okay this is a great example like you and I just, you know, you're just over the border, but we have so many differences in terms of what we have access to based on which countries we can go to for visas and our healthcare. <laughs> That's a whole other show. Um, you know, it's, 
I, I may find myself paying more just because I'm from America versus Canada. So I love this idea that, you know, Safety Week is already working on the health insurance piece, but you're going to have more opportunities or this or more of the same if you can, let's say, become a citizen of this internet country. So Chance, how do you ideally hope that this could work? Do you think people should have to pay a certain amount of money to join this internet country? Or what would be the requirements in your mind if you were like ideally building an internet country that people could become a part of outside of where they were born? This is a great question. So I think there's a couple ways we can look at this. One is kind of the pragmatic, what options exist and like what is the path to get there to get started? That's one way. And then one is like, what is the ideal scenario? Um, on the pragmatic one, I think the in reality, how we're going to get kind of there is the opportunity is countries, they want, they basically, this is a new phenomenon where these some countries, most countries in the world are used to losing people. They're used to brain drain people going to countries like the US, Canada, Australia. They're not used to the opportunity of people potentially coming there. Um, in the same way. So countries right now are very open to experimentation around this, and you might be able to create uh, something that uh, allows this uh, mobility if you basically say, hey, we can help you get access to these people that are really ambitious, very skilled, all of these things, and they can go, oh, maybe we don't need to worry about our uh, kind of old legacy system. It's like, oh, you're from this country? No way, we won't even think about you. And even if you have the skill set and we think you could be valuable to country. So that I think is like the pragmatic way. So that'll be, you know, that if you go that path, it, there's certain things that have to go. You'll have to have, you know, basically be on like meritocracy of what skill set you've built and, you know, what countries are open to valuing and that sort of thing. So that is kind of the step there. It's not the perfect scenario, but it is a path towards uh, a, pr a pragmatic path towards that. And then as you go, you build, build, build and um, go from there. The ideal one is a completely different question, and I think that is one that's really open for discussion. I don't uh, feel I could say my opinion on certain things, but I think it's very much like what is citizenship in this era or in this scenario? You know, what are the things that a country would want if you're thinking of it as an internet country, um, and what are the you know what are the values behind that? What are the all of that? I think it's like really interesting, um, but I view that as a separate bucket that's more um, very open to discussion. Yeah, there's there's so many ways you could go because one one way I would think is that a country decides, let's say, to partner with Plumia, and they're going to provide a lot of the infrastructure on the ground. That the internet country, that the I don't know if you're calling the country Plumia. <laughs> let's say the country was called Plumia. Um, you know, citizens of Plumia could go to let's say Portugal, where I live now, and they could get their healthcare on the ground there. I don't know if a country is going to partner with the internet country to make the physical happen and the physical reality, or if this separate, completely, you know, standalone internet country is what's going to fuel like the, you know, how everything's going to work. What do you see happening? So there, I think I'm more, so in a way we can think of it as uh, another popular way of thinking about this, Zimology, he wrote the book, The Network State, and kind of popularized uh, this larger idea. Uh, and his big thing is basically you accumulate people, a community in the cloud, and they go to physical space. And uh, it's not super clear on how that will actually go. Like, what conditions would a country be open? You know, there are no frontiers anymore um, on Earth, essentially, for this. There was some experimentation around seasteading. I think that's kind of died down. I, think, I don't know how practical that is long term. But basically, it essentially comes down to 
I think there's no way around essentially making agreements with countries. Um, that would be the only way I see this happening. Uh, so the way I view it is there has to be some kind of mutual beneficial situation for countries that they'll give up space. But I also think um, we think of natural, we think of countries as they are now, they are based on conditions that exist at a certain time period. Before you couldn't communicate. Like when, when the nation state was formed, the modern nation state, you couldn't communicate with people very far. Like I was actually just reading about uh, uh, historic guilds, like merchant guilds, craft guilds. And I had this funny thing uh, uh, that I found was basically like they're talking in UK, these two cities, they mentioned these two and they were towns at the time period and they referred to each other as foreigners. And I went on Google Maps and looked it up like, how far they were, they were literally an hour drive, but they considered each other as complete foreigners. So the way, the reason I mentioned that is that our conception of what a citizen is, what a country is, what a foreigner is, these are like always in flux. And I think when we get to uh, thinking about an internet country, maybe it isn't necessarily like, it has to have a set period of land that like, this is our space, you know, then we need all these other things like armies, all of these. It might be, there's kind of this in-between space that's like kind of working with legacy nation states in a, in a mutually beneficial way that maybe you're having sections where this place, um, another way we can, another potential example of this would be, we have a large demographic um, issue happening in the world. And you could see uh, 50 years, hundred years down the line where you have places where they're basically empty. I mean, you go to, there are incentives for countries like Italy, Greece now, where they're like, we have basically empty villages or dying villages that we wanna find people to, to come there. And you could imagine a situation where they have this kind of in-between ground where they're like, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll partner with an internet country to kind of give you space here. Uh, and we'll find ways that make sense, like for the citizens of the initial country and the citizens of the internet country, that, that it makes sense and is like um, a doable position. But those would be, I think that's the most practical way. If I think about what is realistic uh, in the next 50 plus years, that would be the one that comes to mind. I don't really buy the or I should say buy it. I think it's lower probability that it will be like they get a piece of land and then it's almost like nation states that they are now, but with an internet personality, if that makes sense. Yeah, drawing people, drawing skills, like you said, from the internet. And then uh, do you think that an internet country needs a physical space to be part of it? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the one that I'm last... I'm more dubious on that. It's not clear to me that that's exactly the case. I think people have to, I think there's valid ways to think about, can, can you actually have a legitimate, like there has to be a physical aspect to a country to some extent, but whether that's people coming together for a period of time or going together, you know, like um, pastoral nomads historically moved as towns or small communities, like kinship clans, this sort of thing. You might have something like that. Like you could look at remote year. What is remote year with an internet countryside look like uh, if that were to exist? Um, uh, or there's another really interesting kind of cropping up recently called pop-up cities. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that could be a potential one where you basically these are, you could have an internet country where let's say you have 20,000 people that are part of the citizens of this country and they could just sort of appear places periodically. You know, maybe half of them show up in a place. They have an inter, uh, a relationship with the country kind of like almost like uh, traveling um, fairs and that sort of thing in medieval times. I think there's a lot of like interesting paths you could go. Uh, you could probably tell I have, a, I feel it's important to have some epistemic humility with this topic and not to be so, feel so certain, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting paths here.
Yes. And things are definitely in flux. Also, I know we're at the beginning of this conversation, but like the thought that there could be multiple internet countries as well, and then they're going to start competing and taking their own shape. And how do you decide which one of those to choose? It's once you take this digital, the sky is the limit, really. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. That's another thing that kind of on the why question that I think uh, definitely resonates with me and a lot of people at the company is, is the idea that countries could potentially compete uh, or the idea of countries competing for citizens. I think this will happen inevitably if demographic uh, conditions continue as they are. But uh, I, I like the idea of countries having to compete for citizens, quote unquote, uh, or jurisdictions. Maybe another way to do it is jurisdictions. Like I think it'll also be not just countries, it'll be municipalities, like smaller locations or cities will be trying to attract people, which already exists now. You can think of maybe um what was it like a couple of years ago in the u.s amazon was saying they'll have a headquarters somewhere and it was kind of insane how country or cities were like trying to give incentives to get that there i'm not saying it would necessarily be like that or if that's even what we want but i think that's uh, an example yeah when do you think that this is possible like what for example plumia is working on when do you foresee the safety wing side the plumia side really integrating together and forming this country um, so I think it, first we have to get clear on what would be the success metric there. Like what, how do you, or how do you, when do you f say you're a country? When does that exist? I think yes. Balaji, he talked about diplomatic uh, recognition, um, but it's unclear. It adds diplomatic recognition and by the UN standard that it is a, a nation state. I think that's uh, a little unclear how that will happen. I think it'll probably be in reality, you'll be an internet country and it's kind of debatable on the terms, but much, much earlier than it gets stated in, in some uh, international doctrine somewhere. In the same way that you know, right now we kind of live on the internet. A lot of people, you know, if you think of the percentage of the amount of time people spend on the internet, their interactions, the way they make money, a lot of people kind of already do live on the internet. Um, but as far as what needs to be done, I think finishing the global social safety net. So that's a product that so, uh, Safety Wings is working on now, which is basically like for remote workers to have a safety net in the same way that a country has a safety net um, and figuring out that, which is, I think in the next year that it's going to be ready, might even be earlier. And then after that uh, is building this, uh, we have a project called Nomad Border Pass, which is essentially like the Schengen for remote workers. You can think of it that it's a multi-country visa that allows us to handle the selection process for countries. And then they allow us to, so that includes people from, you know, we can take in people from Nigeria, uh, Somalia. In theory, this would be what we want to get to, and that those people have access to all the countries, the countries have partnered with us. And in that case, then we've actually partnered with countries. Then there's kind of the diplomatic stuff happening already, and then you kind of build up from there. So that's that's kind of how I view it from there. I don't, I'm not sure, it's not clear to me yet, like, um, A, if it matters whether or not we have like an international thing that calls us a country, if we're actually able to create the value and, and build the, in, the, the institutions. Um, yeah, so that might be a kind of a, a roundabout way to say what I think it will be. Okay, so the, the Nomad Border Pass concept, it sounds really fascinating. So you are working on that right now and you're having like, a, yeah. is it like how many countries are you trying to include in this border pass? We're hoping to have 10 in the first for the beta test. Um, nice. Yeah, 10 countries we're hoping. So we're kind of in the initial periods now, kind of talking to people in governments, kind of gauging uh, their interest, and then also working on 
kind of earlier partnerships with countries. Because another way you can think of this is, I think there's over 80 countries now that have some form of digital nomad visa. So you can view that as an indication that they're very interested in exploring stuff here. Um, and then I think you also, another thing to watch here is, I think around countries like, let's say Japan, they uh, there is their demographic issue or South Korea is so stark that I think they're gonna be really looking to experiment with different things essentially, because they view it uh, as existential. I think the Japanese prime minister last January, he wrote, or he spoke basically said, this is, we're talking about whether or not our society will function or not in the future. Uh, so talking, you know, these are major issues that countries are facing. And I think they, they will have to inevitably solve these with uh, mobility in some way. So I think that's an area to watch as well. Yes, and I know Japan has been, you know, um, over the years, very close to the outside world. So to think that they would be part of the border pass or open their doors to the digital nomad visa, which I have heard talk about for next year, possibly, is incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it makes me wonder, like, if I taxes, for example, like how are these countries going to benefit from the, the border pass? Like, are they going to, does that mean now you're going to be paying some taxes to the country? I know it's a thing that people like countries are never going to get away from. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be one of the most interesting and potentially controversial areas of this space as it goes forward. And this kind of gets into the uh, thinking about uh, what is the, if you were to create the conditions Let's say you had the conditions of now, would you have the same institutions and set up as you have now based on nations and this sort of thing? Probably unlikely. Because you have a case where you think of a lot of digital nomads now, at least ones that we've talked to, it and myself personally, it feels odd to be paying taxes in one place if you're living amongst other places. Like I think people generally want to be paying taxes in a different way. And there are like contributing, maybe not the right word is. People want to be contributing the places they are in different ways and like in meaningfully contribute. And so finding different ways, you know, like what is the right space there? I think you'll have a lot of pushback from countries like let's say Canada might not be interested in this at all, losing that potential tax base, but they might be interesting, might be interested because they might lose a lot more if they don't integrate. So you could think of something like maybe there's worked out with all the countries of you know sharing taxes somehow, or you work out some uh, the algorithm or something where I'm in X country for this many days, X percentage of my taxes go here. I don't know how that would work, but I think the once we get into the partnership with countries and be able to say like, hey, here's all these people, and we're able to almost um, almost like advocate for these this group of people who are living this lifestyle and kind of barter with countries in, in on their behalf. I think we're starting to get into interesting questions around. You know, what does tax look like this uh, globally in this system? How do we improve that? I think uh, countries, nation states who have uh, typically people who have uh, who are um, nomading a lot and they 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 don't want to lose that tax base. I think they're probably more afraid of like they don't know what's going on. A lot of people might find other ways to pay taxes, different ways, or avoid taxes, and they probably would be incentivized or interested in finding ways to be like uh, reduce that uncertainty and kind of uh, clear that up. That's kind of an idea I have around it, but I think that it might be the most interesting area to come. Oh, yeah. I know that we're not going to be able to avoid taxes altogether, or most people won't. But like you said, maybe they'll feel better being able to show a jurisdiction like, look, I do pay taxes somewhere. Because, yes, like you said, once you get on the road, it becomes unclear unless you're American. You know where you're paying taxes at that point, at least for now. So um, another question I had for you is, you know, 
I have to say, like Plumia, it's part of a it's part of a company. You're building a country as a company. So it makes me think like, who is going to lead these internet countries? Are they even going to have leaders? Should a company lead a country? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. It also gets into a question around the social safety net that some sometimes comes up in questions is uh, or uh, feedback is, okay, let's say you're thinking about a retirement product. I think about a, a nation state as now, uh, we I generally think it's going to be here. Uh, whereas a country or a company, especially a venture back company, it's okay, how do I know it's going to be here? Now, there are solutions around there, like you can use um, other forms basically, where even if the company falls, the, the social security could be covered by another um, entity or some way they have around there. Um, but that doesn't get to the question of, okay, who leads the country? You know, uh, how does that work? The way that I'm thinking of it now, or this is, this is the way I think is probably the most likely because I don't think it'll be feasible. You won't have people, they won't accept that essentially. They won't accept like a, a dictator model. I don't think in long-term. In short term, if they kind of build out the infrastructure, they might be open to that. But long term, they'll want uh, something more democratic, is my assumption. Um, and my the one thing I'm exploring right now, a I don't have answers to be to to, to be clear there. But one thing I'm exploring yeah. is let's say somewhere like Switzerland. How did Switzerland form? Switzerland has a really interesting uh, political system in that they're very close, like a direct democracy. They have these things called cantons. Are you familiar with Switzerland's uh, background? Yeah. Part, partly, I know about the cantons, yes. They have these uh, basically like somewhat autonomous cantons that come together, uh, and, you know, and they historically came together as three and they kind of built on, built on there. And I think that could be an interesting model where you have essentially tribes that are their own kind of self-functioning tribes that are part of a a larger, like strung together into a larger country. That could be something I could think of. And then you have a lot of self-checking, you know, uh, maybe you have tribes, maybe they could be companies, their own, I don't know, uh, communities that are traveling together and that are organized and that they could kind of, um, you know, decide things together, like where are they gonna go? What do they wanna, what do they wanna work with, with countries and that sort of thing. I think tying those together would be an interesting model, but, it's kind of open. I think we're basically at this moment, we're thinking, okay, let's build this infrastructure and see where it goes from there. I think it might also be the, it could be the reality where, you know, country is just kind of like a confusing word that doesn't end up being the word we use. Because essentially we're talking about institutions, like countries are just an institution in the same way. You can think of the church as an institution, you could think of a club as an institution. Um, you know, they have different uh, names and different kind of values put them, but they're essentially institutions and they automatically change. That's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. There's so many moving pieces. Also, I'm thinking of blockchain technology and how they're building infrastructure around identity and also um, being able to like track the voting and governance and things like this. So maybe this technology can also be incorporated into the future models we see so that everything can be logged and everyone can vote and participate just digitally and immediately. So you have like much more integration and a lot less corruption. Let's hope. Yep. And actually on that pop-up city one, there's one project that's emerging called Zuzalu, which is, it is, seems to be forming into this like really interesting community where they are traveling together or setting up where they go to a city for two months. And they're very much, you know, all Web3 people are basically nomads by default or remote workers by default. So they're kind of thinking in this way. So you could imagine, let's say, 
30 of those type of groups come together of, you know, mixing between a hundred to a couple thousand people, like, you know, they have the same needs as, um, you know, remote workers, as far as like a social safety net and uh, some representation, maybe those can come together and, and kind of form something. And then we help with the infrastructure and the interaction, like kind of the bridge builders with the uh, current government situation or nation states, that could be a potential model as well, but we'll have to see. Yeah, countries are always going to need companies to help them. I mean, the companies are the fuel. So we're not going to have, I think, you know, two of these distinct things existing apart from each other. But last question I have for you, um, what about the metaverse? Have you guys considered or decided maybe everybody can meet online in like a, this, you know, physical space online uh, and have meetings and, and do a lot of things there. I don't I know for a while, a couple of years ago, a lot of these things were being built up. And, you know, Meta, for example, is really trying to have people meet in the metaverse. Um, do you foresee this being a future part of an Internet country? I think thinking longer term, medium to longer term, absolutely. And sort of thinking, OK, let's think uh, right now, the blocker is probably technological. Um, uh, kind of putting aside the the speculation, all that weird energy that came with Metaverse a couple of years ago, also the positive energy around that, but just uh, putting aside that, I think you look at maybe Apple's, I think it's Vision Pro, their VR technology. I think, you know, once you get companies like Apple really pushing the bound, like in there, and obviously uh, Meta is putting a significant part, portion of their research budget into that. Once the technology is there, then it's uh, more interesting, I think, and definitely something that will be more viable. Uh, again, it's more of like from our perspective, it's kind of the pragmatic, you know, once the technology is there, things shift. And so assuming, yeah, I, I'm very, I'm pretty certain that if that technology gets there, then this will open up kind of a different ways that we are thinking about things um, and experiencing, whether it be travel, maybe we don't go, maybe physical places lose um, some of their uh, value, maybe not. But yeah, so that's, that's how I think about it. Have you seen Ready Player One, Chance? I, yes, I read the book years ago and got super excited about it. Both excited about it as an amazing book, also kind of a harrowing book in some ways. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I remember it because it's based in my home state of Ohio and the the people in Ohio are always putting on their headsets to escape Ohio and go into the metaverse basically. So um, I think a lot of these places that may not seem so ideal, like you said, we're gonna wanna get into the Vision Quest Pro and, and escape and meet people more online. So it's going to be interesting. Will countries be what comes out of this? Will we all get more of a level playing field to be physically traveling because we're part of an internet country? It, there's so many possibilities and it's been really fascinating to talk about this stuff with you. Yes, it's great to chat about it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Do you, do you have anything else you would like to add about this before we go? Um, no, I think if people are interested feel free to reach out and have always happy to chat about this stuff. Thank you. And I wanted to ask one more time, what is the name? Could you spell the name of, you said Duzalu, the the uh, Web3 group? Zuzalu. So it's uh, Z-U-Z-U-L-A, I think. Yeah. Yes, just I didn't I don't know if I heard that right. So I wanted to confirm for everyone. Chance, once again, thank you for joining us. I I hope Plumia continues to build this internet country. It's gonna be really interesting to see what comes out of this and what we have in the future. Yes, thanks a lot, Becky. Thank you and have a great day. You too. Ciao.